2: Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the senior administrator here at the Hendricks Center. And today we're going to be talking about embracing our own mortality and why it's a necessary practice for Christians. And we are joined by the esteemed J. Todd Billings, uh, the Gordon H. Gerard Research Professor of Reformed Theology. That is quite the title at Western (laughs) Theological Seminary. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, Todd.
1: It's great to be with you, Kim.
2: So why don't we just start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up in scholarship and at Western Seminary? How did you even end up in the scholastic academic world?
1: Yeah, um, there's, I think, probably several versions of that (laughs) story that I could tell. But I think that for me a uh, formative experience was spending a couple of years at the end of my college time and then after college in East Africa and working mm. with the church there and I was both fascinated and engaged by the energy of the church that sometimes you can see in a different context with even more clarity than in your own context mm-hmm. um but I was also really puzzled. Um, there were hard theological questions that I realized were ones that I hadn't really thought through and that I realized that for the preaching and the ministry of the church would need to be thought through. And so it was at that point um, that I decided to go to seminary and then um, Um, started to eventually think going for a PhD. So I um, went out to California after a couple of years in East Africa um, for seminary at Fuller Seminary. Then I um, went to Harvard for my um, PhD work in theology. Um, And so since my time at Harvard, I met my wife there. We were both Graduate students, and we met at an intervarsity fellowship there. And um, since my time at Harvard, I've stayed where I got my first job, um, which is Western (laughs) Michigan. Um, It's been a really good match, and um, so yeah, I love teaching. I have a deep love for the church. I love writing, and feel called to writing as well, Um, and. I guess one part that is maybe a significant background to this as well is, um, in 2012, when I was 39 and my wife and I had a one and three year old at home, I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. And so, um, thankfully, um, I'm still alive. This is not a ghost version of myself here. Um, and, um, I'm able to, I still have side effects of chemotherapy as I continue on chemo, um, but I'm able to work, and I'm really grateful. Um, after that, after that experience, I wrote a book on lament, um, partly processing that experience with the Psalms, um, but some of how I became interested in the topic of how we die. And how we live in in light mm. of our mortality is just becoming a cancer patient. You enter into a community where there's a lot of love and compassion and anxiety, and a lot of death. Um,
0: mm.
1: You know, a lot of my friends from the cancer community have died, and uh, there's certain gifts and challenges that come. With that increased awareness of death, but it just struck me how my life before and so many aspects of, um, especially middle-class Western culture today, try to convince us that death is something that happens to other people and not to us, or mm-hmm. you know, it's supposed to happen after a long life in your 80s or something like that, and. Um, started to see how we've really, um, given, we've shortchanged the gospel in buying into that narrative. Um, God never promises a long life and the good news is better than that. Um, and so, um, that's some of how I became interested in the topic of, in a sense, how we live in a way where we embrace that we're dying.
2: Yeah. So, so this can be kind of an intense topic, I think, for people, I would have to imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was intense <laughs> as I was thinking about it and even preparing for the podcast and, you know, and and just really reflecting on it and reflecting on the dimensions of the conversation. And um, some of it is largely it is very uncomfortable, particularly probably for us here in the Western culture. Um, I know at least that's really all I can speak to is our own culture. Um, so, but your, your insights kind of in this area seem to assert that like it's, it's unhealthy and unhelpful, particularly for believers to hide away from this. And so, so we're going to kind of like step in, you already started us a little bit on, on the, um, train of thought, we're going to step in. I think the first place to start would really be talking. Maybe let's dig in a little bit more of what you were talking about with um, just our current culture, not being comfortable with it and and kind of hiding it away a little bit. What are your thoughts on um, just how death is portrayed and 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 not even just portrayed, obviously, on in movies and that kind of thing, but how it's handled
1: in our culture? yeah. There's all sorts of forces at work, and one of the most dramatic ones is ones that we don't notice unless we actually go to another country that doesn't have the technology and healthcare and so forth that we have. In one of the places I was in East Africa, it had around a 50% infant mortality rate, Mm -hmm. and so the whole way in which... Identity is configured is so different. You know, you I would, when I would meet someone, it would they would introduce themselves, say their family and tell me, you know, I have seven children, three living or, you know, I have six children, four living. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything about who you are is Mike is marked by life and death in a different way. Um, sociologists in the West have called this the the great health transition. And it's not just the story actually of the West. It's becoming more and more of a global phenomena as, um, Mm. as medicine itself and particularly public medicine and public health becomes global. Um, But you have this dramatic increase in lifespans um, that we've, kind of just taken for granted. You have in the middle of the 20th century, most deaths still took place in homes. Mm-hmm. And so most children growing up or many children would have had the experience of basically a hospice worker today mm-hmm. of taking care of a parent or a grandparent or a sibling while they die in the living room. Um, and You know, today, the vast, vast majority of deaths take place in institutions. The dying are in institutions. Um, It's not unusual as a seminary professor for me to have a seminary student preparing to be a pastor who's never been to a funeral or maybe been to just one or two funerals. I mean, the Mm -hmm. life experience is just totally different with this. And I know it's kind of counterintuitive, though, to say, you know, we that death is somehow being denied in our culture because it's all over the headlines and it's all over our entertainment but that's actually quite different and again although i draw upon biblical theological resources i did dive into some of the social scientific work too and it, it's it's a very very different experience to have a firsthand experience with mm-hmm. someone who's dying and an ordinary way, and to have a headline hit you about, you know, so and so died, and now there's a lawsuit, or so and you know, a, a sort of politicized death, or a death in a, in a entertainment um, in a strange way that I can, can actually reinforce to us that death is something that happens to other people
0: mm-hmm. and
1: not to us. And um, with cell phones and social media, the whole world is kind of configured to our interests and gives us the sense that we're at the center of the universe and, you know, we're the central star in our mm-hmm. story, in our movie. And uh, that's about as far as you can get from what I would say a biblical self-awareness of mortality is. Um, you know, a biblical teaching is that we are small, we are like breath, Um, and every, uh, um, every moment we have is, is a gift from God. So Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not just that people have been sat down and taught, you know, death is not something that applies to you. (laughs) It's, it's, it's much more what I call the cultural liturgies and Mm -hmm. ways Mm -hmm. that shape how we not just how we think, but also how we feel and what we expect, um, and these um, are, are are really really powerful, and powerful for um, Christians in the church as well.
2: So, before we get too too much further, we're about to dive into the the biblical um, understanding concepts of death and approaches to death, and and we'll, we'll get there in a second, but. But before we go too much further, I do want to talk about wha- what you understand to be the relationship between, um, death and suffering in this conversation. So if we're talking about embracing our mortality, where does suffer- where does suffering have a place in this conversation? And, and just, you know, because some people might be in a place where they are really in it in a time of suffering and that may or may not, you know, lead to death from that particular um, event of suffering. But, you know, I just, I think that that's, I don't know, as, as I was reflecting on all of this, it was something that I thought, you know, I'm, it's not exactly death because death is, again, because of our cultural liturgies, the big thing that we almost don't talk about, you know, the fear of death. But I think suffering also has a large part in this conversation. So what do you see the relationship being?
1: Yeah, I think that the relationship can be complex. As you mentioned, not all suffering is directly related um, to our mortality. Um, I think that some of where it it may become especially important is when we think about what is the gospel and what is the good news of Christ saving us from and for. So if Christians are really formed deeply in a context where I am the center of the universe and I should expect to live till eighty or 90 or a hundred. Mm-hmm. And as then it's very natural for a lot of Christians to assume, well, if I do the right Christian things or if I trust in God, if I have trust in God when I pray in faith, um, then I'll make it there. Then God will give me what really I, I deserve. Yeah. And um, when someone falls ill and they're not at that age, then that shapes how the prayer often takes place. I mean, when I was in the hospital with my own cancer, um, I appreciated all the prayers that were lifted up. Um, but I also noticed that some of the prayers seemed kind of like, you know, give Todd back his middle-class lifestyle and long life that he deserves. Mm. And... I have to say that that's a view of God that I had questions about because God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us life. And so um, um, often there's all sorts of things we encounter in life as suffering that we think that as Christians we should get over. And particularly in what I explore in terms of the prosperity gospel, which isn't just preachers who are promising a tenfold reward when you send them in money. I mean, it is that, but it's also just much more subtle forms Mm -hmm. of the Christian faith, where when we're raising someone in the youth group, um, we lead them to expect that if they live a good Christian life, then they're going to live till their 90s. Um, That this is just part of what God owes them. Well, this, this prosperity gospel makes suffering itself a kind of problem that we're supposed to be delivered from if we have enough faith. But I think a more biblical gospel frames suffering as an opportunity for witness because Jesus Christ was is the man of sorrows. Um, And he shows in the cross that the way of flourishing is not seeking out suffering for its own sake. It's not masochistic. And it doesn't stay like in an abusive relationship or something like that. Yeah. Um, But it does realize that in the midst of this mortal life, and some of this will relate to our crumbling bodies as mortals, and some of this will just relate to difficulties we have um, with, uh, with other people or with other trials. But in this mortal life, we will have um, the death of Christ in us, <laughs> bearing, mm. bearing witness and sharing in his sufferings. And um, that ultimately, that is a testimony to um, the King of Kings. Um, And that's a very, that's a very countercultural movement, because there's so much of the Christian faith, I think, formed by so many of these different consumer factors, as well as Mm -hmm. prosperity gospel type factors, that just makes us assume that, like, if you're suffering, it's either your fault or God's fault. It's not God's fault. So it must be your fault (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. And, or the suffering itself is a problem. Um, But I mean, all over Paul, for example, you have suffering and joy linked together again and again. And I think that's often the case. Like, um, and I mean, I have had people say about my book, wow, there's a lot of joy in that book. Like it's not a morbid book even though it, it's yeah. about death. And um, that um, that pleases me because I wasn't <laughs> trying to write a morbid book, but trying to show us how um, when we're trying to stay at the center of the universe in some sense, we don't open mm. ourselves up to either suffering or joy in the way that we can when we live as mortals before God.
0: Mm.
2: So how, how have... <laughs> So we've, we talked a lot about our, how we currently at least approach death or (laughs) the lack thereof to try to hide it away. Uh Um, How have Christians historically approached death? Uh, And, you know, is there, are there different approaches? What, what are those approaches? Um, Are, are they better than what we, we are currently doing? I'm presuming that they probably are, they're at least more complex. So what, what have you found um, in that? Just to help us understand, maybe, again, following some other examples people might, who, of people who might be handling it better.
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of different approaches in terms of the theology of death that Christians have had. And that was actually kind of a discovery in the process of writing, because I had only heard about one for the most part, or really mm-hmm. absorbed deeply one. Um, and then there's also this whole long set of practices that are hundreds of years old. So, um, yeah. Um, but on the, on the theology side, the one that I knew about and had really championed in my book on lament um, is death as an enemy. And mm-hmm. I mean, good biblical support for this, you know, um, um, Romans, Romans five and um, the reading of, um, Genesis as through the through the sin of Adam comes mm-hmm. death and um, you know revelation and uh, all this this um, language of death as an enemy death is in some sense fundamentally unnatural like not the way things are supposed to be mm-hmm. and it was interesting because I was actually really honored to have um a retirement home in town that has a lot of former missionaries and ministers read my lament book and not all of them could read at that point. So they found one person who could read out loud and they read each chapter aloud to each other in small groups over like (laughs) 10 weeks and, um, and then, and discussed it. And then I came and, you know, dealt with their questions and the most repeated question was, why do you talk so often about death as an enemy? Um, Our biggest fear is that we're going to live too long, that
2: Mm.
1: we're going to keep on living after, like, you know, they're feeling the deterioration of their bodies and the loss of mobility, you know, one thing after another. And there's always something that medicine can do to just sort of keep them beating their heart longer. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were, they were, saying we understand why death would be an enemy for you or for our grandkids or something like that but um something tragic yeah yeah, yeah. but um and almost to a person they were had a sense we are not in a position where we don't want to die like we we want to die <laughs> you know mm. and not in a um, self harm way at all, mm-hmm. but just the sense of, like we 've lived this arc of life, you know all the different stages, and here we are um, we 're ready to die and as I dug more into it both historically and scripturally, I found that there really is a trajectory there where you know Abraham and a number of Old Testament figures in particular died um full of years and old age. There's a sort of fullness and arc that takes place there. And Irenaeus in the second century was really a champion of this view of death where he talks about how Christ went through all different stages of life and kind of, in a sense, sanctifies them Mm. (laughs) through his person in bringing our brother in the flesh and flesh and blood. He is the pioneer um, and shows us how every stage of life, including the process of dying, is one where we have the opportunity to give ourselves over to God. And even as we lose things one by one, you know, mobility, friends, family, from dying, this is an opportunity to give ourselves over to God in sanctification. And so, um, no, I don't think there's anything directly contradictory (laughs) about Irenaeus and Augustine in their biblical account, Mm -hmm. but they certainly are in tension. Um, And I think that some, you know, examples, when I give an example of in a book of a friend who was a missionary, died unexpectedly at a young age, and... That seemed to me to be very much an Augustinian mm-hmm. moment funeral. At least, that Augustinian moment was needed, where we're like, "This is not the way things are supposed to be." We don't understand. We just don't understand at all. And Augustine said, death, "Augustine said death is fundamentally irrational. Like, you you can't come up with a human reason of why this happened." Um. And then there have been other funerals that i've been at where you know i 've known the person who have died, and they were both entering into the life that they were given at that stage of life, entering into ministry, entering into love of others and they were tired they wanted to they wanted to go and be with christ as mm. as paul said and and so that has a different sense to it. And so I end up saying that I think in some ways, all of our deaths, like we don't control in advance how we're going to die. Mm-hmm. And so all of our deaths will be somewhere on this continuum. Um, but I'll let you ask the practical question too. That's, that's its own whole sort of thing, But that's kind of the theology of, of death. And I would just say that like most Most Christians, I think, were kind of like me in the lament book, Mm -hmm. most Christians today where they're only really aware of um, death as an enemy, that Mm -hmm. trajectory. And so I think there is actually some need to rediscover this other theme as well.
2: So what I'm hearing you say is both of them seem to be legitimate, you know, historically, biblically, and, and that you don't. We might, nece- we might not necessarily want to just ascribe to one <laughs> is yeah. that, you know, death can be, uh, and, and, a and you can think Christianly about death and not just see it as, you know, the last enemy to be destroyed as death kind of thing. Um, okay. So that, yeah, that was really interesting to me at, as I read and thought about that because I very much had also been it, trained very fervently with an Augustinian (laughs) approach to death. And, and I, and I still think that it's valid, like you even assert, but I, I, there are situations, like you said, particularly with the elderly or, you know, those who are suffering where it's, it's not that clean. And, and there's um, yeah, there's just this sense of, but that, that doesn't seem to fully cover what's going on this, this situation and how, again, it's portrayed in scripture. So, so you, you've talked a lot about, um, Christ at, which is always a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. but you you talked a lot about Christ as kind of the, the, the nexus, the point that all like our mortality and, um, I'm lost my train of thought, but, uh, where he really is, the point where humanity and mortality and our understanding of those things and our, um, experience and example kind of intersect just, he, he is that for us. And so what, but I'd like to focus in a little bit on the cross, um, specifically the the cross and resurrection. What does that accomplish it, What, what would you say it accomplishes with regard to death? And, um, and I, I think that's a pretty standard, like, you know, creedal question. But but the the part B of it would be what is to be enjoyed now and what is to be enjoyed later. And how ha- like how does all of that work with what you're saying as far as embracing mortality? Because if we're embracing mortality on some levels, it, it could be construed as em- embracing death not necessarily as a good thing, but maybe a little bit is a good thing. But isn't that what Christ defeated and so right. you know how do you think through uh, help us think through those things
1: yeah that's a really good question and it's kind of a complex nexus there so let me say a little bit and feel free Kim to come back and push me on it or clarify because I found that even as I was reading some of the um, classic prosperity gospel teachers, some of the teachers who were really influential on later prosperity gospel preachers, so some of the less well-known ones, but super influential ones, they actually did think things through theologically in terms of union with Christ and death, and I'm very interested in those issues. I have a couple books on union with Christ, and so, um, and from a doctrinal perspective I often felt like I could say yes yes no and that no may seem like small at the moment but it ended up being a huge no Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so um you know there's a sense in which um our union with Christ as well as um the kingdom of God is already um, but not yet. Um, in union with Christ, one of the most frequent terms used in in the New Testament, um, one of the frequent, most frequent metaphors is adoption. And so we often think of ourselves as Christians as adopted sons and daughters of God, adopted children of God. And we should. This is a good thing. <laughs> but it's interesting that um there's places that say that, but e- there's even more places that say talk about how we will be adopted or we will be fully adopted and so I think that we can sometimes obscure this sense in which um you know with Romans eight, um, Yes, we are adopted children of God, able through the Spirit to call out to God as Abba, Father. And yet, we we groan, we lament with the whole creation until that day when our adoption takes place in fullness. And so, it's actually a sign of the Spirit, that we are groaning and lamenting that our union with Christ, in a sense, isn't full yet. Isn't that strange? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And some of what we're groaning and lamenting is that we live in a world where death is still an enemy. And so, I mean, there's nothing, Christ's cross and resurrection is completely sufficient to Mm -hmm. have victory over sin and death, and yet when the New Testament speaks about it, it speaks about it uh, um, in the sense that this is something that will happen, you know, it will be um, on the final day, it will be when Christ returns, when Christ comes and the kingdom comes in fullness. Then we will be able to say, oh, death, where is your sting? Until then, mm-hmm. there's a sting to death. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I think we sometimes miss that or feel like that's less than Christian to, to admit, but I think it's fully, fully biblical. Um, I remember being with a member of my congregation had been married for over 50 years, and it was the anniversary of the, wife of the death of his wife about a year, it was I think a year before, and he just started crying and saying, I know I'm not supposed to be sad because everyone tells me that she's in a better place, but I want her here. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: No, I want her here. And I think that when we are so quick to tell people, Yes, your lost one, your loved one is in a better place. We can obscure this. Like, there is a sting to death. Death hasn't been defeated yet in a certain sense. Now, I, I'm not at all meaning to imply that there's yeah. like. No, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's fully accomplished through um, mm-hmm. the cross and the resurrection, but it hasn't come yet. And some of where the um, prosperity gospel, I think, goes wrong with this is when they think about um, the benefits of Christ and what we have now, they still think that there's an already not yet, um, but they would say that um, disease, poverty, and you know sometimes death, or at least disease and poverty um, are in fact already accomplished through the cross of Christ mm-hmm. and already received through the cross of Christ to those who have faith to receive it. And um, at least the classic prosperity folks talk about how if you're not receiving healing from disease and um, and rescue from poverty so in other words Mm -hmm. you know material wealth um then you are stuck in the sense world around us the sensory world around us which is not really real so that's Mm -hmm. the so um you know when christ comes again then 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 there will be a coherence between the sensory world they think and and the lordship of of christ but the way to enter into this real world is to have a bold faith that shows you that disease um, doesn't, doesn't really exist for Christians in, in, in a way when you have mm-hmm. faith. So there's still an already not yet there, but I think it's a very distorted, distorted one.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. So,
2: so what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, in, in, in the very, I think, widely accepted understanding of the already not yet kingdom, um, that we still obviously, we, 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 along with creation lament and groan (laughs) under the weight of sin and death, you know, awaiting Christ's um, ultimate redemption of all of it, you know? So, so I guess my question is, and, and even maybe turning to the practicalities of how, how, what does it actually mean to embrace our mortality? How do we lament and groan with creation yet embrace our mortality are those mutually exclusive things and if not what does it what does it look like to actually do that while still definitely being under the weight of sin you know because em- embracing almost seems like a like a positive celebration rather than this lamenting and groaning
1: mm, interesting yeah I, I know some Christian authors have talked about it in terms of mortality acceptance, um, that we accept the fact that we are finite dying creatures rather than living the path that even our culture wants us to live, which is to live most of our life in a way as if we were immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the reasons why I use the word embracing mortality has to do with a theology of creation that um, we are created finite and small and different from God, but still good. And we are, we are in fact fallen, but, and this is something similar to what Irenaeus would say, Um, given the state of our, our fallenness, God actually uses our creaturely limits as a gift Mm. to lead us further into our identity in Christ. And so, Precisely because we are so inclined to act as if we were God, to act as if we are the center of the universe, the fact that we have bodies and bodies that are failing can actually become, in a strange sort of way, a touch of grace that we need to embrace. Um, Now, so there's... So there's that, there's that aspect, but mm-hmm. um, there's also just the sense in uh, uh, the sort of broader sense related to this that um, as we think about the cross and resurrection, I do think um, in what we have now and what will we have to come, the categories of justification and sanctification are really helpful, mm-hmm. and um, that is um, in justification We find our righteousness in Jesus Christ, uh, that our status in Christ is such that we no longer have to um, live in fear or serve God in fear that we will be rejected in the final judgment, that we have been acquitted from our sins. Um, And yet, we still live with the old self we still live with sin we still live with death and so there's this long mm-hmm. process of of sanctification um and so i think that and i mean on that point i'm very influenced by by calvin i think his way of framing those two as inseparable where you can't have one without the other mm-hmm. is is really is really helpful and it's really helpful as you're dying In the sense that um, if you are just worried about, constantly worried about the final judgment, Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily lead to a very healthy hope. Um, But the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord in Scripture is certainly a fearful thing at times in the sense that, the Lord is King and we are not. Um, but there's. it's also celebrated. It's celebrated in the Psalms. It's celebrated in the New Testament. I think those in Christ can, can look forward to it. So some of what we're lamenting and aching is just that the day of the Lord isn't here yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so um, the way to ache as mortal creatures and lament is not to say, I should act as much as if i were immortal as as possible <laughs> yeah but is to say um you know come lord jesus to us in our brokenness and in the meantime mm-hmm. um thank you for these bodies that we have which are temples of the holy spirit the, these broken, crumbling bodies are, are both temples of the Holy Spirit, and we look mm-hmm. forward to the age to come as a place where, in a sense, the whole cosmos becomes a temple in the sense of a dwelling place where God dwells with his people. Um, and so even, I think, with the temple um, imagery in the Bible, you have something like an already, but, but not yet as well. Mm-hmm.
2: And coming, like you said, the, the aching is the, rec- the, the waiting and the hurting <laughs> until Christ comes and the ultimate redemption is, is offered. Um, but you're in the midst of that, like you said, you're recognizing the, um, the manner in which God is, utilized, is utilizing even this fallen world um, mm-hmm. to again, bring us to himself, sanctify us, however you want to, you know, use the terminology, but uh, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying and I hope it doesn't come across that I'm <laughs> pushing against what you're saying. Oh, I, oh. I, as I, as, as I was listening to you, I thought, you know, but what does it mean to lament and to, uh, and to, to groan with creation, but also embrace. Oh. And I think that, you know, you, you showed us that it it does involve both. So So as far as just practically what you do in your life, so somebody hung with us all the way through all of this theological conversation, um, but they say, okay, so, but like, what does that actually mean that I do next Thursday? You know, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. what would you say to that? What, how does it impact a daily life, daily actions? What does, what does a life that is embracing mortality look like?
1: Well, I think it in our culture, in particular, it requires intentionality um, because um, what the automatic default, especially especially I found in white middle class um, contexts, is to um, put death in the the sidelines and um, put it in an area where um, it's kind of off limits from everyday conversation when it comes to the normal experience of death it's almost like pornography or something in the sense Mm -hmm. of like you know it's like headlines and entertainment but then we just don't talk about the normal experience and so concretely um you know this was a big challenge for me as a parent uh, finding out Mm -hmm. wow this is the percentage this is the chance you have you know roughly speaking of course the doctors don't know for 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 sure but um of being alive when your kids graduate from high school um do i want that to be their first funeral they go to like that would be a really bad idea i want them to actually be exposed to um dying and um for this to be part of their growing up and part of their their development um and so um, this happened in some pretty simple ways at times. Um, we took the opportunity when we had a dog die, or when we had some fish mm-hmm. die, some pet fish die, just to, just to spend some time with the dog before we buried it and to say prayers and to weep and um, to give space for that to be really, really open to the questions of children about death. Um, Because especially if they have an experience with it in everyday life, they will ask a lot of questions Mm -hmm. and just to welcome those. And if you don't know the answer, Mm -hmm. just say, you don't know, you know, you'll get a lot of questions like, you know, is our dog in heaven or things like that. Or, um, and then I think the church, especially a multi-generational church is such a gift Underutilized gift on this, I found that in all of my different spheres and areas, whether it was work or social or things like that, the one place where I could really help my whole family to get to know people who were in the process of dying, especially in the last few years, was the church, was congregations. And a lot of these folks had a lot of their friends die already were pretty lonely, but it was not at all just about being like a good Samaritan to them. I mean they we would just I would go and bring the kids to the nursing home and different places Mm. where they were. And um they were such a gift to us. Um but you you have to get used to people will look at you strange when you say, Yeah, I'm taking my kids out of school for um to um bring them to the funeral of this older man who you know, they got to know or <laughs> mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I think there's um, m- much in the concrete life of the church, um, in its worship life and so on, where um, the reality of death is both seen as something that we all go through in baptism and um, the Lord's Supper um, and can be highlighted mm-hmm. um, and entered into more. Um and um, the other, other thing that uh, I was reminded of, Kim, with your last question, too, and it may be a, kind of a concrete way to get at the sense of, well, if death is really an enemy, should we embrace mortality? Is I do think we do need to have hard conversations about end of life. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the book, my book is definitely not just about end of life. It's about living the mm-hmm. whole life as a creature who is mortal with that awareness and embrace. But um, I was really troubled when I entered the cancer community and I had Christian friends die to see how that happened in many circumstances where faith was utilized in such a way that if you really had faith, then you would believe that the oncologist was wrong Mm -hmm. in terms of them being in a serious condition as they are, and so, someone on the verge of dying, you know, there would just be calls out for prayer again and again. You know, pray that they live another forty years, and and then a couple of years, couple of days later, they're dead. And um, I think we just we, there's mo- there's got to be more than one storyline about how God acts than that, and. Um, I, was, I was pretty troubled to find out that, um, like, highly committed Christians are over three times as likely to ask for extreme measures at the end of life. And these extreme measures are things that um, basically have, like, a lottery ticket level chance of having, of doing any good.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, it's not like they would bring people back for a long life or something. They might give people a few months. But what they almost certainly give in in most circumstances is terrible side effects so that they can't actually be with or be present with family. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, I think that what I noticed was that Christians who do this would just champion the death as an enemy language in such a way that like all that they could possibly imagine of God wanting for this person would be to have more heartbeats
2: mm-hmm.
1: to live longer um, but i don't that's not at all how I see Paul speaking in the New Testament. Um, he is so looking forward to um, being with being with Christ after he mm-hmm. dies and so looking forward to, um, the age to come. Um, and, um, this is such, so much more of a bigger miracle than, you know, living a few months more on a ventilator or things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that, uh, you know, concretely, um, that is something that the church needs to take on, um, very directly because it's, um, if you think about how this affects the spiritual life of those who are continuing on after that loved one has died, after there's been calls out that, you know, mm-hmm. if you pray, this person will live another 40 years, or if you pray, then this person will not die. And then they die. Um, um, it's devastating. And the the thing is, is it's it's prayer that I think is not ultimately based on what, God has promised. And so um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not at all against praying for healing, but to pray in such a way that it's open-handed and that God is working um, um, and that God is not up to just like extending our lifespan. He's into resurrection, which mm-hmm. is totally different than extending our lifespan.
2: Mm-hmm hmm well our time is up (laughs) just real quick are there any um resources out there that people might want to check out if they would if they want to dive deeper into this concept into this practice of trying to embrace one's mortality in a more intentional way
1: yeah sure well um yeah certainly i would recommend my own book um the end of Mm -hmm. the christian life which um Um, isn't just about end of life, um, but about the whole Christian life, even how we raise children or how we Mm -hmm. live different stages of the Christian life, where death is not pushed to the margins, but it's actually part of our discipleship. And um, um, it's really a recovery of resurrection hope, because I found that so many of us it's almost like we don't really want resurrection hope. <laughs> we just want life extension. We just want, mm-hmm. you know, um, some other form of earthly prosperity. But I I think that entering into this practice um, is, a, is a really okay. deeply formative one. There's another um, book that's a new book and um, just a superb one that I think is especially good for those end-of-life discussions. And I would recommend it for churches too, even though it's not As directly theological. It's by um, Lydia Dugdale called The Lost Art of Dying. She's a Mm. uh, physician and a professor at Columbia University School of Medicine and has just been present with hundreds of people as they have died. And um, she's seen so many circumstances, like I was just talking about a few minutes ago, where people hadn't really thought through even um, what was going on when they think about end of life and extreme measure, but it's really a rich piece where she gives you some of the history of how Christians have related to um, death with the Ars Morandi tradition. I draw some upon that tradition Mm -hmm. too in my book, but she has more of a historical section and Ars Morandi means art of dying. And particularly um, after um, some of the plagues and illnesses, Mm -hmm. you know, spread of illnesses um there were these manuals that developed of how not just to die but to live in light of the fact that you're going to die and so um so there's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom there um i guess one more resource from um is from a Roman catholic theologian um matthew levering on dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and the virtues. And um, I don't agree with every part of it, um, being Reformed and not Roman Catholic myself, but it's so, so beautiful um, in terms of how he talks about um, the different sorts of ways of patience and hope and so forth that we should cultivate and just how different that is from the stories we're given about death and dying in our culture um, today. And he, mm-hmm. he draws that contrast in a really beautiful way.
2: Hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for joining us today. And we'd just like to thank those of you who were listening. And um, just if you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to join us next week when we discuss issues of God and culture.